Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitPointPodcast.com. With October comes episode 280, with Graham McMillan and I talking about New York Comic Con 2019 and the proposed DC timeline, the power of giant days and the appeal of outer darkness, being mystified by the season finale to The Green Lantern, Lauren Dean keeps up breaking up with me, The Hard Tomorrow by Eleanor Davis, the Twitter feed of Rob Liefeld, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcasts.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a mixed bag. I'm a mixed bag, Graham McMillan. <laughs> oh, oh, good? Yeah. Question mark? Right. <laughs> uh, I have to tell you that I apologize to you and to our whatnots. Um, I literally about a minute ago mm-hmm. started burping and hiccuping. Oh, and I- kind of fighting it right now, but... In case it happens, I'm sure you're going to edit it out, so I'm at least apologizing to you. But in case you don't edit it out, I'm also apologizing to the whatnots. (laughs) Okay. Well, in that case, let me also apologize to the whatnots and to you. Because if you do do it, um, I will not not only not remove it, I will actually cut it and then edit it in to the rest of the podcast making it yeah no that, that actually does seem fair yeah. like if you just you know copy and paste them in and other parts of the podcast exactly that that would be great yeah i i figured yeah, you I, would approve that's really helpful thanks <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> that's what friends are for graham that's what friends are for it is i believe there was a whole song to that uh to that extent yeah. in the 1970s yeah jeff mm-hmm. i've got to tell you on the flight back from New York, I watched Rocket Man again. Oh, and oh, I think I've before I watched Rocket Man in the theater, and I really liked it. Uh-huh. And I watched Rocket Man again. This is not a joke because I just wanted to see the bit at the start where they do the bitches back. Yeah, and then I put the screen up. The screen stopped responding to to, <laughs> things. and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to watch the whole film." Two things: one, I actually really do like that film. Good. Two, that film is honestly just a delivery system to make sure you have Elton John songs in your head for at least a week. I mean, it's been a problem this week. Interesting. You know, I, I have to say, I enjoyed I enjoyed Rocket Man. I did. I felt that it was not as perfect, and I think I said this at the time when we were discussing it. Better film, not as perfect a delivery system for Elton John songs that Bohemian Rhapsody was for Queen songs. I think think really i would i would disagree with you i think it's a better film but i also think it put it does treats the song songs better uh so the 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 only problem with it is is that the songs are not sung by elton john they're done no exactly it's a musical yes and while i normally approve of that choice i think there were some cases where it it didn't serve the um to me, served the soundtrack quite as well because you know it was it was good and I liked their interpretations and there were some parts that were I recall the the music numbers being super charming, um, but but by the same token, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, particularly because uh, old what's his name can't uh, pull off John's uh, 
falsetto or moves oh, into yeah, falsetto. Yeah, no, um, what's his, I always want to call him Tarragon, but that's not his name. Yeah, yeah. What, what is his name? It is close to that, though. Uh, hey, let's see. Rocketman cast. Come on, Internet. Yeah, it's the Kingsman. Uh, it's Taron Egerton. Yes. See? Who can remember that? You know? No no, no uh, offense to the other Egertons who might be listening to us right or now. Or for that but... matter, the other Tarons. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, he's, he's it's kind of like the fault is in our stars guy. I just cannot remember that guy's name either for the life of me for similar reasons of, you know, I'm a simple meat and potatoes that's... man. What's that? No, no. Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort. Every time I'm like, that's his... And to be fair, both Tyron Eggleton and Ansel Elgort both sound like anagrams of real names. That is, <laughs> that is totally true. That's exactly it, Graham. That'd be amazing if that's what it turned out to be. Um, yeah. Uh, so... Right. So I just think that um is like I said I I enjoyed Rocket Man. I mean it's a little um it's it's never quite as wild as it thinks it is. You know what I mean? Oh but yeah, it's still the, I, fun. I, I, and the, the point where like it gets closest. Mhm. Um like when they have like the quasi orgy scene. Mhm. Like it's just kind of a mess. Right. Right, you know, like I, I, that's a shame because you're you're right. Like it, it thinks it's a much more transgressive film mm-hmm. than it is. Um, two things about it: one, that what I like about it more is literally that it does just seem like a musical that they filmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, it, the second time watching it, the bit at the end where young Elton says to Elton in therapy, "Like, are you going to hug me now?" Mm-hmm. Fucking killed me again. <laughs> Apparently, that that scene is like exists to emotionally destroy me, ah. and I knew it was coming. And Jeff, it destroyed me. Wow. Uh, also, to to get off that subject very quickly, I want to tell you that the film I then followed that up with on the plane, yes, was the Inventor, the HBO film about Theranos. <laughs> wow, really? Well, that's a that's a one-two that, look, punch. That, yeah, that's where my brain was at, apparently, <laughs> flying back from New York Comic Con. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like I would be a, a bad uh, co-podcaster if I didn't ask you about New York Comic Con, you know? It was a really weird one. We haven't actually really checked in this week. Nope, nope. Like, we, we quasi-checked in, but yeah. but we didn't do a proper check-in. So, like, this is this is the first time you're hearing this. It's not like before when we do podcasts and you're like, how is such and such? And, like, I've already emailed you and you're, you're basically, like, doing a prompt. Yes. Um, New York Comic Con's really weird this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, say, I feel like I say that a lot about conventions and, honestly, especially about New York Comic Con. But I had a, I had a bad show. Mm-hmm. Um, and from talking to various people, I'm not the only one. Mm. Uh, and it was bad for a number of reasons. One of them was I was kind of sick. Mm-hmm. Another one was I just worked way too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really, like an 18-hour day, a 16-hour day, a 12-hour day. Like, like, that's way too hard. I filed 25 stories in three days. <laughs> that is uh, insane. That's, that, that is, yeah, that's just too hard. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that on top of being kind of sick, not good. Uh, as a result of being really busy, as a result of of being sick, I didn't see people socially like I normally do at a convention. Right. Uh, you know, normally, especially San Diego, like there's a lot more socializing. There's a lot more like, oh, I, and I saw my friends, and I saw so and so and so and so, and that just didn't happen at this show. 
uh, I saw like literally maybe like three people socially, mm-hmm. and everything else is just work. Oof. Um, which is it's just rough, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talking to everyone else, uh, that didn't seem to be solely me. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that seemed to mirror a lot of other people's experiences, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I had a terrible time on Thursday getting into the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the organization of, of New York Comic Con this year was fucking appalling. Like, mm. genuinely shocking that. Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of people in the past who have talked about Repop not being very good at crowd control. Mm-hmm. And previous New York Comic Cons were, were amazing compared with this year. Mm. The crowd control was practically non-existent. There were far too many people there. Um, there were points where you could barely move on the show floor, wow. or, or not show floor, like outside the the show floor. Do you know what I mean? Like it just mm-hmm. the mentioned like it was it was that busy, and there was absolutely no attempt at at crowd control at all. Uh, I had on Thursday, I did the first few things in the New York Public Library, and then I had to get to the show, check in and get my badge, and then get to a panel. Mm. And I had actually an hour and a half to do that. Mm. And I barely made it. Mostly because I waited so long to get into the convention center. Mm -hmm. Because there was no singular will call for press or exhibitors. You had to to wait with everyone else. Mm -hmm. Once you got in there, you could go into your own line. But just to get into the building, Mm -hmm. you had to wait with everyone else. And it's, you know, the first day of the show. And so I'm waiting like an hour outside in the rain, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, in order to get in. in order th- so that was that was really, you know, that put me in a really bad mood. And then I'm running to get, I'm actually running to meet, uh, the first panel I have to go to is the Fox movie panel. Mm-hmm. And I have to meet someone from Fox in order to get a wristband in order to get into the panel. Mm-hmm. This has all been pre-arranged. Right. And... I go, I've got, I've got speci- like, I've been given an email, you have to be at this location, and I don't know where that location is. Mm-hmm. So I make it to basically the panel room, and I'm asking the person outside, where's this? And she's like, I have no idea. And I'm like, okay, I'll ask someone else, where's this? I don't know. Third what? person, I'll ask, like, where's that? And they're like, I, yeah, I don't know. And it was like, literally, a random dude overheard me asking. I was like, it's over there. I'm without... As a person, I wouldn't have met the Fox person. I wouldn't have got into the panel. Wow. Like that sort of like, oh, this is a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and the weird thing is that didn't really let up for the entire show. Ugh. Like it was just, it was a slog. Mm-hmm. This was really a slog. Um, Charles Forsman put a, a comment on the Instagram uh, saying like, come and see me at my table. And I only got to Artist Alley once mm-hmm. at the entire show. And he was like, there was a crowd around his table. <laughs> and I was like, you motherfucker. Okay, I'll come back. And then I just didn't get a chance. Mm. Um, what was really funny about that was I was supposed to be interviewing someone at Artist Alley. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't. Let, let, I'll rewind a bit. I'm supposed to be interviewing someone, a creator. Mm-hmm. And they're not at their publisher's booth. And the publisher is appropriately embarrassed and is like, I'm going to find out where they are. Just like, let, just let me deal with this. And then they come back and they're like, they're on, they're on our Sally. Um, they're being interviewed by someone else. And they said, like, you know, it'd be great if you could go down and inter- interview them in our Sally. And I was like, sure, that's fine. 
And for the sake of argument, let's say this is at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. It's it's close enough. It, um, but I'm like, okay, sure, I'll go, I'll go down. Fine. I'm like, I've got an hour and a half. And it takes me more than an hour to find them in our cell. Wow. And at that point, they're still being interviewed by the first person who they're being interviewed by at two o'clock. Good God. And I was like, this is clearly not happening. Uh, but yeah, it took me an hour to find someone in Art Sally. Because mm. it was just that big. Wow. Um, it was just, it was a really frustrating convention. It was a very busy convention. Mm-hmm. It was uh, that weird thing where it felt like there wasn't any big news. And yet, like I said, I filed 25 stories. Right. You know? So clearly there was some news. It's just, <laughs> no, but it's, it, that's just it. Like, if you ask me now, what was the news from the show? Yeah. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, the only thing I really remember was, like, the DC timeline. You know? And that's not even really news. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a really odd show. It was a very unusual vibe. And honestly, I'm kind of comforted by talking to other people, and they basically said the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because one of the things is like, you could be having a really weird show, and then you talk to people, and they're like, I've had the, great, the best show of my career. And you have that moment of like, oh, maybe it's me. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I'm just like in a weird place. But no, I talk to enough people in, I mean, when I say passing, I mean like, you know, five minutes or less at the show, mm-hmm. or a bunch of people in email afterwards. Where I was basically like, so was that show weird for you? And they were like, yeah, yeah, that that, that was, yeah, that was, that was very strange. <laughs> hmm. Um, so I I don't know how how New York Comic Con was. I, all I know is I feel very disappointed by it. Mm. Um, and I mean, really, by Thursday night, which is the end of the first day, mm-hmm. I was in my head. I was kind of like, so I'm not going to come back next year. Wow. Like, this is just stressful, and I'm not feeling well, and I'm just, I'm not feeling it. Like, I'm unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of went away throughout the weekend. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like, when you're like that at the end of day one, it sort of casts a pall. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, you can never, like, even if things get better, you're still kind of in the shadow of it, I'm sure. Yeah, you're kind of recovering from, you know... Oof. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Like, oh, it's rough. Um, yeah, it was, it was a weird show. It was a very, very weird show. Hmm. Uh, people seemed, um, I don't know, harassed? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, I, it was, I made a joke midway through, like, I think, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I definitely made it on Sunday because I saw Mike Bolcher from 2008 where I was like, I keep forgetting New York walking is a contact sport. But I, I got to that weird thing where I was like, I, ju- I just want to go back to Portland where like I can walk. <laughs> where I can, I can walk and like people are not fighting me trying to go in the other direction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't even re- really imagine what you went through. But as someone who went to New York Comic Con... Jesus, like, I don't remember such an absurdly long time ago. Like, I can't imagine it's a decade, but maybe. But I remember being on the con floor, and it was just a swamp. You're literally just, you're you're just jammed into people. And, of course, 
everything's so tight and then it'll stop for like eight minutes and you're like, why isn't anyone moving? And of course it's because, you know, two groups of cosplayers have encountered each other at a yes. junction and are yes. taking photos and Oh that that was the funniest thing on I guess Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um I uh, I go to the DC booth and the DC booth is I mean, packed is an understatement. You mm-hmm. can't get close to it wow. because it's a crowd of people. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I look through and I can just see like lots of Harley Quinn cosplayers. And I was like, oh, they're doing a Harley Quinn thing. Meet up. Mm. That's fine. Because DC was all about Harley Quinn in the show. Of course. Like very aggressively so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, it's oh, okay. Sure, whatever. You know, I don't care about Harley Quinn. Like, you know, the film's probably going to be fine, whatever. And I leave. And that night, I'm looking online, and it's like, oh, Margot Robbie was there. Ah. <laughs> Margot Robbie and the cast of the uh, the Birds of Prey film were there. Probably should have tried to push through the crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Although, Jesus, yeah, that would have been – it's hard enough to get through a crowd when there's – at a Comic-Con when there's barely any reason for it, much less when there's, like, a legitimate fan moment, you know? And then it's just uh, – I will say this, though. At one point – Again, I'm not going to name names. I am talking to a publisher, and I'm supposed to go and cover their panel. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that I'm not going to get into the panel. And so I basically go to the, the publisher's booth, and I'm like, I'm not going to get into your panel. Like, is there news? Is there going to be an announcement? Like, what's the deal? And they're like, we'll walk you in. You can walk in with us when we do the panel. Hmm. But, but that's in like half an hour. And I'm like, that's great. I'll go, and I'll come back. And I go, and I come back, and it's like, I've only been away for maybe ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I've already won. I've so I've I've missed them. Oh, like fuck, fuck. Okay, well I'm just not going to see it. Whatever. Right. But I say this and, and I ask the thing. I'm like, a so and so left, and they're like, oh yeah, they you just missed them. They just left, and I was like, fuck, I'm not getting into the panel. And they're like, no, I'll get you in. <laughs> and certain publicists at certain companies are like parkour ninja ghosts. <laughs> I've never moved so quickly through a crowd as then. Wow. Because this person magically, like con whisperer, <laughs> was literally able to go up to people and say behind them, excuse me, just coming through. And they would part. Wow. It was this amazing thing. Hmm. Matched with the fact that this particular person was so fast, mm-hmm. they are like part gazelle in their DNA. <laughs> They're walking visibly. Hmm. I am running trying to keep up. <laughs> wow. wow. It was really impressive. Hmm. Like I got there with minutes to spare for the panel. Just because this person was so fast and just magically was like, excuse me, coming through, and people would just part. And I tried it for the rest of the weekend, Jeff, and that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it usually does not. So yeah. I don't I don't know what it was. <laughs> it, it was genuinely impressive. I was like, it's like is, is there a magic trick going on? What's going on? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, huh. I, I'm thinking what the big stories were from the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the DC timeline, mm-hmm. um, which was a thing, question mark? Right. Did you see this? Did you Do you know what this is? I, uh, I feel like I saw some vague talk about it. Okay, like... so it's the, it's the DC Nation panel uh-huh. which is dan didio moderating what you know generously could be called an unstructured discussion mm-hmm. with um tony daniel tom king nk jameson 
Lieber Mayho and Jim Lee. Okay? Wow. What do those people have in common? Literally nothing other than the fact that they all work for DC. Right. And like and honestly the panel played out like that. Mm. Like it was not a, a good communal discussion at all. It was literally <laughs> one person question, Dan it's another person question. Okay. Right. And then like pretty much halfway through, Dan was basically like, I wanna show you guys something in secret. <laughs> um here is what is essentially like an Excel spreadsheet of DC trying to come up with like a unified timeline. Wow. Of of its superhero universe. Mm-hmm. Right? And he prefaces it by saying, in not so many words, but the meaning is really clear, we fucked up with the New 52 because we got rid of our timeline, which people understood. Mm-hmm. And, like, you see, he says it in a coded way. He's basically like, something that the TV shows and the movies have found success with is having a cohesive universe and a cohesive timeline. Mm-hmm. And the DC, when we did the New 52, you know, there's a lot of excitement about restarting the universe, but we really slipped up on this. So we're trying to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. And so he shows this Excel spreadsheet, which is A, gone through so quickly that you can't read anything, and B, of so low quality in terms of graphic mm-hmm. that you can't really read anything either. So the Im- implication is like you're not supposed to know what this timeline is. Right. But the idea is that it's a timeline that restores a chunk of the post-crisis DC world. Mm-hmm. Um, like literally, the Justice Society's back in, Justice League International's back in, mm-hmm. um, all of the major crossovers are back in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all this stuff, like Legion is back, obviously. Uh, but there's also these weird differences. So, like, Wonder Woman is now officially appears for the first time before the Justice Society. Mm. It's like, like in the movies, the first superhero in, in the DC universe. Right. Um, and, and but it's he's like you know we split up into four timelines and all this stuff, and you can tell from the crowd, which is a DC crowd, it's a DC panel, right? Mm-hmm. And it's in the main stage. It's a DC hungry crowd. You can tell from the reaction of the crowd, everyone's kind of like, "This is cool, I guess." Right. Right. Like it's not that they're hostile to it at all. Mm-hmm. It's that everyone really doesn't know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. The deal prefaces it by saying, essentially, I mean, he literally says, whatever's said in this panel is not going outside this room, right? Mm-hmm. right? And so I email DCPR, and I'm like, so wait, is that a secret? <laughs> like, what Like what can I say about this? And he, I literally get answered by going, look, he just said it in a panel room at a convention. Yeah, right. <laughs> game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well that's DC but for that- you. So that was kind of like, you know, quote-unquote, played up as the big DC news. Yes. In the same weekend, like, Amy Reader doing Amethyst is announced, mm. and G. Willow Wilson taking over the Dreamings announced. Mm-hmm. Scott, it's Stuart Eminent coming back for a, a horror book at DC. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, those strike me as bigger news stories. But the timeline was DC's main takeaway, I guess? Mm-hmm. It was it's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel announced... A new Wolverine series, uh, a new Guardians of the Galaxy series with Al Ewing writing. Oh, right. A new, a new Thor series with Donny Cates writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, Iron Man's getting relaunched. Hmm. What's really weird is Iron Man, so Iron Man's getting relaunched as Iron Man 2020, right. with Arnold Stark being Iron Man. Mm-hmm. What is not announced at the time, but comes out like maybe three days later, like after the show, 
it's it's a six issue miniseries, mm-hmm. and it's like so. Right. So it not really as big a deal as you said it was. <laughs> right. So they really did pitch it as a reboot, and in fact, it's just some sort of mini series. They didn't even pitch it as a reboot. They more or less were like, you know, Tony's gone, mm-hmm. and now Bruno Stark's Iron Man, just now for 2020, Iron Man 2020. It, but they, they were very clear with, like, this is continuing the story from Dan Slott's series. And Dan Slott's still writing. Mm. Um, And in the PR, Pete Woods gets, like, the greatest passive aggressive thing i've seen in comics pr <laughs> in years <laughs> where his pr is basically i can't tell you how exciting it is for me to work with a creative team that you can communicate with <laughs> <laughs> which is like shockingly passive aggressive right? <laughs> so, okay i get it you didn't like scott lobdell okay fine <laughs> nobody did but it's like it's like it was just I've got to find the actual quote because I really like I remember reading it being like holy shit. <laughs> um, let's see, do I still have the PR? No, maybe I don't. Ah, uh, maybe I don't. That's a shame. Ah, uh, oh, wow. yeah, I don't think I have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm going to see if if I do. Um. Uh, let's see. No, I do not. That's a shame. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. Hmm. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah. that was that. Marvel also announced. Uh, I, I, we have talked before about it seems like Marvel's flooding the market. Mm-hmm. Some of Marvel's other announcements genuinely makes you think they are, and also they seem to have run out of material to flood the market with. Right. Uh, so, for example, uh, we're going to get Ruins of Ravencroft, three one-shots, all by Frank Thierry, starring <laughs> Sabretooth and Dracula, uh, <laughs> leading into a five-issue Ravencroft miniseries. Wow. Also by Frank Thierry. Mm. Which mm. is apparently a spin-off of Absolute Carnage. Hmm. Sure. And seems to be like giving Marvel its own Arkham Asylum. Like, what? You know, like... <laughs> How is that a thing? What is even happening that, that that's a thing? Right. Um, Star, the breakout character, gets her own death-defying series is another thing. You know, that death de- the breakout character from Captain Marvel, apparently? Hmm. Question mark? Right. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was weird. Uh, the other thing that was really weird was Marvel's Dawn of X panel. Uh, they announced the Wolverines, the new Wolverine series. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of these people who gets the P- embargo PR from Marvel before, so I know it's coming, mm-hmm. right? So I go into that going, they're managing the Wolverine series. Sure. What I didn't realize until afterwards and from talking to other people is apparently everyone thought that Marvel was announcing a lot of X-Men series in that panel. Uh-huh. And the fact they announced Wolverine made a lot of people really disappointed in it. And don't get me wrong, announcing a Wolverine series is not particularly exciting. Yeah, you know, generally. like. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a Wolverine series. Sure. Mm-hmm. But the idea that they didn't announce enough series, and therefore the panelists is finding, it was super weird. Right. You're like, are you people nuts? Like, just wait 15 minutes. They'll announce another exactly. half dozen. Yes. Ruins of, ruins of Wolverine. Ruins of Wolverine? No, that's not what it's called. I'm just making a joke. About I, I'm like, I'm so into it. Uh, I'm oh. like... The new series is just called Wolverine, mm-hmm. and it's written by the same writer who's writing X-Force, Ben Percy. 
Mm-hmm. And honestly, it seems to have the same setup as the X-Force title, except it only features Wolverine, who's also an X-Force. <laughs> so, okay. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. But yeah, apparently people were, were upset. Hmm. Apparently people were really not into uh, the fact that they only announced one X one X Men series when like five were literally just about to roll out and then it's like month and a half. Right, right. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it because I I do think that there is a little bit of grounds for that in a way because by the time you get to the Hox Pox one two punch of you know the miniseries, you're kind of like okay, you know it it sort of seems like everything is wide open and so the idea that they're following it up with like you know five series on the one hand it's kind of like well maybe that's good because it'll be focused but you know you say, you say focused itself like all told they're going to be rolling up six series in the next like three months right like that's a line jeff well you know the idea that we're like wow hawksbox really blew everything up i can't believe they're only putting out six ongoing titles well i i i just mean in the sense of on on the one hand you're right on the other hand it's like there was so much work and thought into the into put into hawksbox that i i'm sort of like you could put it like anyone could think of six series. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah, but mix it up a I, little I, bit more. You know, and I, and I'm not I, saying to fair, that's kind of first of all. I guess you've read the end of of House of X and Powers of X. First yes, time, right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it ends, we'll get to like the end of the series soon enough. Mm-hmm. But what is spinning out of the of Hawksbox and 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 you know that. Uh, reboot, soft reboot of the, the line. Mm-hmm. It's a Marauder series, mm-hmm. an X series, a New Mutant series, an Excalibur series, mm-hmm. an X Men series, and now a Wolverine series. Mm-hmm. Even given the fact. Oh, sorry, and Fallen Angels. So I guess it's seven series. Right. Huh. Um, even with the fact that they're like using reusing some titles for some new concepts mm-hmm. so for example marauders is the hellfire trading company mm. uh fallen angels is the mutants who do not agree with the the political objective of krakoa mm-hmm. right it feels very conservative mm-hmm. not in terms of the number of titles because again that's seven comics jeff right but in terms of you know, Hawksbox, for, I was kind of disappointed by the end of Powers of Ten, I've got to be honest. Mm. But but even so, like, it does create such an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's coming out of it feels very pulled back from that. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel the same? Like, do you think that there's a conservativeness about the, the spin-offs? Uh, I, I do, or at least, I, I mean... It sort of seems unfair to entirely say that because I don't, I, I've only half peeked at the PR. Um, but uh, I would say a little bit. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that is fascinating uh, with, for House of X, Powers of Ten, is by the time you get to the end of it, um, you know, Hickman's done like a really interesting sort of golden braid of a series. Like it's, 
you don't, it doesn't necessarily even feel like it's come super far per se. You know, it, it, it doesn't shut down the status quo by the end of things that it sets up, which I think is good. It, you know, yeah. there's like, well, but it, it, not that it can't, but like it isn't supposed to, right? right. No, like the, the point of those 12 issues is to set up the status quo for the new books going forward. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Except I was half uh, convinced that Hickman was going to like do all this and then dash it to the ground, and then the new um, the new series is the, actually the would be like the next step. Yeah, the the rubble from to, it. So. To to an extent, I think that he did that in Powers of Ten, which is honestly what I found disappointing about it. Mm. I think Powers of Ten is kind of bold, mm-hmm. but I honestly felt it going. Fuck! I wish you just finished it with the with the final issue of House of X. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly, taking everything from the celebratory nature of the final issue of House of X mm-hmm. to we're destined to fail, mm-hmm. um, even with the idea that like Magneto and Xavier are, are aggressively pushing back on that, mm-hmm. just the idea of like we're destined to fail made it seem retrogressive again. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, all the X-Men stories we've seen are them fighting against the odds where they are destined to fail. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So putting that in and being like, I, I, even allowing for it being, you know, a metatextual joke, mm-hmm. it just, I just was like, no. Right. Like, really? That, that's your, that's your takeaway? That's your big twist? That's disappointing. Like, that, that's upsetting compared with where you had been going. Right, you know, mm-hmm. I like the idea that it sort of flips the the wider narrative on its head by saying it's not mutant versus human; it's mutant versus post-human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do think there's some some engine there, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also like some really big narrative gaps in there as well. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't you have post-mutant? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Like yeah. that's that seems weird. Yeah, that that, that that's just not in there or is the idea that one like post mutant is post human well right but like surely all the genetic engineering that sinister is doing is post human slash post mutant exactly exactly i mean i think that that was one of the parts that seems sort of baffling is the idea that suddenly there's this line in the sand about oh no mutants are only um you know capable of developing in reaction to their environment and it's like we just saw all through Powers of Ten a bunch of you know the the chimera. But that's not true. Yeah, you know, so it's kind of like um, I'm not sure where you're going with with this. In a way, you know, I mean, I think in a what disappointed me was more the idea of as you got further and further into Powers of Ten. I think especially by t- the time of the fifth issue. There's a lot of I felt like Hickman did something that that suits him really well and I thought actually you know suited his narrative for a change which is kind of that idea of at a certain point the whole realm of unintended consequences the you know year 1000 by powers of 10 is such a weird clusterfuck it's hard to tell whether it's good or not, you know what I mean? Like, I want, and one of the things that I did like about 
Hoxpox leading through it was the idea that that Hickman was going to great lengths to sort of bring the uncanny back into the uncanny X-Men, you know, like there's times where it's like you see stuff and you're just not sure how to react. Like, and that, that happened, I think for all of us a lot in the first couple of issues of like, why does professor X look like that? This doesn't seem like a good thing. You know, there's weird, you know, uh, fetal creatures coming out of plants you know and seemingly worshiping him you know stuff like that that's just like what is this and by the time you got to to me for powers of um 10 number five and house of x number six i kind of felt like they were a pretty good balance because there's this idea of like the x-men win in how in in house of x but by powers of 10, number five, you're like, is the idea that all of humanity is going to be uploaded into an artificial consciousness and then shot into a black hole while the physical remains are destroyed? Uh, like a, a big win? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Exactly, yeah. And, and one of the things that I really liked about that was the fact that it just seems so creepy and weird and so by the time that part of the reason why i didn't like the six issues sixth issue of powers of 10 was the idea that it it was really one of the first issues where i kind of felt like i'm like oh yeah i can see it all coming you know what i mean like there was just a lot of like this guy you know the librarian showing up and he's talking to these people I, and I, feeling yeah the i thought that and, reveal Mm-hmm. I thought that reveal was I, – I mean I might be wrong. I'm fairly sure I joked on Twitter. I'm fairly sure I didn't say this in the podcast, like that the year 1000 was going to be the other missing life. And people were like, Hickman's not going to do the same trick twice. And he literally does. Yeah. Like literally does down to the fact that like Wolverine kills Moira. Yeah. yeah. Like it's literally the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, disappointing or or – Man, disappointing's not right, but there is something about the oh, I guessed it. Mm-hmm. Right, that, that is disappointing. Right, you know. Yeah, and so maybe that's just the only part that, like you said, to me, the real retrogressive aspect of it is the idea that it's like, oh yeah, suddenly I'm ahead of the curve again. You know, where it was for no for and for no real reason, for nothing other than what seemed like arguably just to spell it out for the cheap seats which i don't know you know maybe that's a thing that's needed but seemed weirdly unnecessary especially in a in a set of miniseries that are so um buffered by text pieces you know what yeah I mean? I, and also i feel that you know following on from that i feel that this was maybe the second issue in a row where they were like here is the structure of the mutant council. Mm-hmm. Here are the people who run the mutant council. Yeah. Do you understand that now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which was weird. Like it, it almost felt as if I don't know if it was just making sure everyone understands that this is the status quo for the new series, mm-hmm. or honestly, if there wasn't enough material for both series. Mm-hmm. And the idea was like, we'll both hit the same landing points in the last issues in case someone is only reading one series, which at this point kind of seems unthinkable because they were one series. Yeah, exactly. That's just perfectly honest. They yeah, were. Right. 
Um, but it, the, the repetition mm-hmm. sort of seemed forced and, and, and dissatisfying as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, again, I feel like part of the idea between Powers of Ten House of X is is that you tend to have things or ideas revisited, but you get the additional um, – You get the additional information. Which, yeah, additional – Mm-hmm. You know, Powers of Ten issue six does it literally replays a scene mm-hmm. from House of X issue six mm-hmm. with 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 an additional scene, like with additional dialogue, with additional moment to to uh, to give it a second meaning. Right. But I'm talking about literally, you get a, an info dump in Powers of X issue six and an info dump in Powers of uh, Ten issue six, mm-hmm. which is here are the people on the council. Right. Here is how the council is set up. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that these are the people on the council? Right. Hmm. Maybe it means something that these people are on the council. Right. And it's just like, yeah, I get it. The council's important. Okay. Right. I, thanks. <laughs> I understood that the first time. Right. And then with the first text piece, you didn't need to do the second time and the second text piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I felt like maybe there was supposed to be some ambiguity that I – or or an, a, a different meaning that – I was supposed to attribute to the the second read through because the second read through has a little bit more of the these are the people who are on the board uh, on the council each representing specific ideas or so anyway it doesn't matter because I a I missed it and b I kind of didn't care I powers of ten. <laughs> The sixth issue of Powers of Ten did sort of, like I said, left me a little cold, which was a shame because I felt uh, House of X issue six was uh, really, really strong and really, I thought, uh, you know, landed most of the way it was meant to land. That being said, and I guess we'll go into this more um, at some point or somehow – I don't think that I'm going to actually be like I finished this up being like, okay, I look forward to reading, you know, the opening titles in six months on Marvel. Yeah. Unlimited, yeah. You know, me too. I, 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 by the, especially by the end of powers of 10 issue six, I was like, okay, there's no uh, great urgency for me to read these comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm, I like, maybe they'll be fine, but there's, I've not read anything. Uh, in, especially in these last couple of issues, that made me go, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. I've got to read more. Right. Yeah, I think I think that was the thing that unfortunately was such a um, force of, you know, we talked, <laughs> we went through all the elements of, of uh, event-itis with House of X, Powers of Ten. You know, we were like blown away we were shocked by the fact that you know the second issues were as good as the first then some heavy duty fatigue set in then there was kind of a moment of like oh well this is really going to change everything and it was kind of like eh. i mean i'm speaking of course for myself here but there i think in a way there was so much because powers of 10 the sixth issue of it kind of the the only real um, future takeaway, I guess, is like you said, that idea of like, yes, we're going to lose no matter what, you know, is a, um, and I know that behind it is there's a little bit of the stuff going on with 
potentially with Moira. Like she's not quite on the same page as, as uh, Magneto or Professor X at this point. Um, but it just kind of felt like I'm like, ah, it, it's so weird that everything was so generous, you know, such generous portions of everything. And then you get to the end and I'm like, yeah, it's a little skimpy, you know, because it it's, is, it's... There's, there's nothing that's a real, I mean, I'm glad there's not like those like old Marvel, like here's our one page lead in into why you should pick up X-Men, you know, or why you should pick up X-Force. Now Wolverine's the killer, you know, or whatever. And it's just like, I'm glad there wasn't that. But at the same time, I was like, I do I do kind of want to see what the impetus is to pick up these other books because in theory you've already used up your one big card which is laying out what the hell is going on in these 12 issues you know well it's funny you mentioned Moira because Moira is the in theory like the driving force for this reboot mm-hmm you know, mm-hmm. and Moira is absent from the second half of these series. Oh yeah, like in in a way that is conspicuous. I'm not conspicuous in a oh Hickman's setting up a big surprise, which is obviously what he wants you to think, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She comes back in Paris with Ted, and she's basically like, "No, you can't have a psychic. They'll know what I'm up to." Right. Which is you know shockingly bad exposition. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, Hickman is not a subtle writer. Mm-hmm. You know, Hickman characters are. Especially Especially in this series with its weird punctuation, Hickman characters are likely to come on the screen and say, maybe you haven't guessed, and then in italics, I'm up to something, and then in italics and bold, something bad. That's <laughs> like that's Hickman's idea of subtlety, right? Right, right. But Moira disappears from the series entirely mm-hmm. and then comes back with no form of revelation. Yeah. Because the idea that Moira is up to something, we've known that mm. for so long. Mm. Like, we've known that from the start. But for Moira to be utterly absent when you see everything else being built on her plans, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the earlier issues up before this, is feels like bad writing more than anything else. Mm. And that, it feels like what really, I mean, really genuinely blew us away in like the first two or three issues of these. Right. By which I mean, like the first issues each of Powers of Ten and House of X, mm-hmm. and then like the second issue of House of X, and maybe the second issue of Powers of Ten, but although I seem to remember that being like, eh. Mm. But like, say, say the first three releases from this launch. Right. Um. Really, I mean, really knocked us in our ass. Mm-hmm. It feels like the, the control that Hickman had over the narrative there got seriously flabby moving forward. I, mm-hmm. I do think the middle of these series were honestly kind of dull. Mm, mm-hmm. And then he's like, and by the way, they're all clones. Like, it's the fucking Venture Brothers. You know? <laughs> it is, though, Jeff. Like, it's like the reveal of the second half of the series is it's the Venture Brothers. <laughs> like, we can kill them off whenever we want. We've got other ones in cold storage. Right. It's 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 done in a smart way. Like there, there is something genuinely smart about, well, if mutant X and mutant Y combine their powers and then mutant Z comes along. Great. Mm -hmm. Someone sat down with like, you know, the flow charts. Um, but it is, it's just adventure brothers, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's just, we can kill off anyone we want and we can clone them back the end. Mm -hmm. And then from Moira to be absent and then come back with such an underwhelming 
uh, return right. makes you may, or made me think he wasn't holding her back for any reason. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it made make sense if she came back and did something that was a revelation, mm-hmm. but she doesn't. And it's just like, oh, she was just out of the books because she was out of the books, mm. which just feels completely out of balance with the way this the series starts. Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and so one of the reasons I'm like, I, you know, I catch up with him in Marvel Unlimited is honestly because it started amazingly, like genuinely amazingly, mm-hmm. and then became sort of dull, and then became sort of flabby. Mm. And it's like, you're launching seven series out of this? Yeah, that's great. I'll catch up in a few months. Right, right. I think ultimately for me, part of part of what sort of frustrated me is that idea of it. Like you said, it starts out so amazingly. And I see what you're saying by flabby. I guess I would just characterize it to me as kind of stingy, you know? Like I just found myself by the six issue of powers of 10 seeing some of the notes and seeing some of the stuff that's redacted i was like no that's bullshit i've been through enough of this you don't get to redact anything anymore you know like it was just kind of like it but but of course you do do you know what i mean like right there's inevitable reveals because again moira is like i'm up to something Mm mm-hmm so like whatever one of the redact like there's some redacted insofar as like we'll find out the Kitty Prides the Red King in the Marauder series fine right but the other redacted like you know all of Moira's journals mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's one that's entirely redacted right and you know that's going to be like the the third issue of the inevitable Fall of X series right right exactly you know so yeah no I just find myself kind of at. Uh, a certain degree of, eh, I, I think that was it is ultimately that it went from, I felt like they Hickman and company really won over my trust in a big way. And by the end of it, I felt like it had gotten squandered a bit or enough to where yeah. again, it was, eh, I'll see how this goes on streaming. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's no longer a, 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 a fevered necessity, you know? There, there, there's a couple of things there for me. One is I can't get over just honestly how just kind of lame mm-hmm. the Venture Brothers thing is. Mm. Like legitimately it just seems – it, uh, it seems cheap. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it seems like it's lampshading the fact that these characters keep coming back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Which again on a metatextual level is interesting. But, you know, I don't – it, it it turns me off of who are theoretically the protagonists of the, sh- of the series, mm-hmm. right? Because then they all become a creepy cult. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, you can't finish that issue and think, oh, these are the good guys. Uh, I mean, I, I, I couldn't because, because of the way that was portrayed. Because of the whole, you know, this, I, I like, I learned everything I knew from you. This is my brother, but he is also. And then they're all pumping their, you know, the right hands and screaming, you wouldn't. Right. Was like, I get that this is meant to be like a communal thing of claiming your culture. Mm-hmm. But the utter lack of anyone going, this is weird. Mm-hmm. Or is this right? Like the utter lack of that. And I know it's coming and falling in angels, but the utter lack of that in that issue. Yeah. Right. Um, turned me off. It really did. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, they're a cult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, to be honest, it distanced me from the humanity in the characters. Mm. 
Well, like the, fi- the final issue of House of Eggs kind of bring- brought me back a bit. Mm-hmm. But part of me is also like, yeah, but they're, you're still a cult. Um, but also, it's just the the initial issues of these books felt like Hickman was putting it all out there, mm-hmm. was going all out, right? You know, and then that became it became more and more obvious that that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, and I, and here's the thing. It can't be the case. Mm-hmm. It's literally a twelve-part introduction to a line of books which is intended to go on for years. Right. Like Hickman can't do it all. Mm-hmm. He literally can't. He has to leave something for the rest of the story. Sure. But because of that, I nonetheless found myself going, "Fine, okay. Well, if you're going to, you know, if you're not going to tell me all of this, right." Just going to hold some of it back, then I'm just not that interested. Well, it kind of it, it, it reminds me a lot of Hickman's Secret Wars to me. Is like by the time you get to Hickman's Secret Wars, like the book, you you like pick it up. There's all this world building on display, and then you read the course of the series, and it's it's a little bit like a comic book as text adventure game. Like you're kind of wandering around someone asks someone a question you read three screens of exposition you know you see if the character makes a choice about their quest or not that moves them in a different direction and then they move into the next scenario where you meet this other changed character and then there's this other conversation that ends up spilling a bunch of exposition in in other words i think for me what was rough was by Hyper accelerating, hypercharging those first couple of issues of of House of X and Powers of Ten. Um, I really thought like, oh, Hickman's going to kind of get beyond his sort of. To me, there's kind of a, a falling down where, like, the humanity tends to be involved, or kind of where the story tends to be involved. You know, it all of a sudden, like, plot hammers just descend to be able to make the people do the thing that Hickman yeah, needs yeah, them yeah. to do. And which, which honestly I think is is the flaw with the whole regeneration thing. Right. Because right? mm-hmm. that's for everyone's like Storm's finally being regal. Maybe she is, but she's not seeming like Storm. Well yeah. I mean though there is something that I think is such a um it it, it would have been impossible, I guess, in a way f- to uh, explore it, um, but it in a way it feels like the most un X Men like thing for people not to spend dozens of pages talking about their feelings, you know. And I because I do feel like the idea that everyone's gonna just embrace this, um, the idea that they finally do have a culture and 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 a place and a race for them is. Um, I, I guess I just want to say like, it's a, it's a really, really strong gimme. I, on the one hand, I sort of, there's aspects of it that I like, cause I do feel that it's one of the stronger ways in which Hickman takes the traditional ways of the, the, the various mutant analogies of like, oh, mutants are, you know, oppressed minorities or mutants are, you know, gay people or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like House of X, Powers of Ten very much has this idea of re- the 
a lot of the power comes from the idea that there is a genuine rejection of I don't quite know how to put it like human culture is it's presented in in the context of of House of X powers of 10 is very much the the human culture is white colonizer culture you know and so I can see how there's sort of a big strong appeal to the idea of like oh okay we've got a we've got our island and now that we have a home and we've got a language we're you know of course we're all going to have big firework orgies and there's something that's a little uh matrix reloaded about the whole idea of it kind of where you're like yeah but no you know like i i think in part for me for the matrix that idea of like you know the people who spent all their lives living in little tubs and vats of goo were being inoculated with you know a gestalt that is um wired to serve the oppressors similarly in 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 mutant in in the realm of this mutant island and stuff it seems a little weird that nobody's like you know where's my starbucks you know and even even when they're like oh you just go through krakoa door eight that's marked with like hickman's personal alphabet seven and then you know you're in the staten island starbucks if you want to be I just, I, there was just a weird, it, it all ended up feeling more unmoored. Um, I don't, no pun intended in that regard. Uh, it just, it just didn't really feel tethered to things. And sometimes I feel like that's a problem for me with Hickman narratives anyway, is they don't really, the characters never really quite feel like the characters that I'm used to seeing, you know, but but particularly in House of House of X Powers of Ten, I feel like it was an especially strong problem where you're kind of going like, like you said, I feel like the, the idea that they are in a cult by the end of issue five or six is is supposed to be very deliberate. There is supposed to be yeah, an uncanny it, it concept has, to them. You know? It has to be there. Yeah. Because House of uh, Powers of Ten, issue six, explicitly says mm-hmm. that Xavier's dream has been replaced with Moira's. Right, mm-hmm. Moira explicitly talks about having to break Xavier. Mm-hmm. The idea that none of the X Men who have fought and died for that dream mm-hmm. are going wait. So now we're a separatist movement mm-hmm. who are cloning people and bringing them back, and we are kind of extorting humanity through a mixture of economics and telepathy mm. i'm not sure that's cool that right. no one is saying that in the main mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. is genuinely strange yeah and honestly a flaw unless it's meant to be a plot point but again if it's a plot point why is it not actually present in the comic? Right, exactly. I, We've I had 12 fallen, issues I of this. Fallen Angels is going to cover this. Mm-hmm. But even then, Fallen Angels is going to cover it with like like former Psylocke, Cable, and I can't even remember who the third mutant is, but like none of the major ones. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's uh, it, it 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 was it was quite a tangle. I got to say, I'm I'm really glad I went through it. And there were weeks where it was kind of fun being like, oh my god, I get another one of these next week. I suppose with a certain yeah. level of quality attached. So in a way, I sort of feel like I'm just sort of bitching about minor issues, but they don't. They're not, they don't feel very minor to me, you know? And it's that idea of like, maybe, maybe story and character should not be minor things. I mean, especially in sort of a, a larger spanning event. But I, I think, and to me, I, I almost feel like I wonder if the disappointment that there are only, quote unquote, only seven books springing out of this is that sort of desperate fanish hope of like, but if they put, you know, 11 of them out, like, you know, my favorite writer is going to end up on one with my five, with my favorite character and, you know, rev, you know, Iceman revolutionary is, is, you know, by Al Ewing is, is the only one of those books I really want to read or that is really going to explore the take in a way that I want, you know? Um, yeah. It sort of feels like with seven books, you're you're going to be lucky if you get something that's got enough of a different stripe out of it. But I don't know. I don't know. Again, just a, it was just an odd reading experience, I guess. Also odd, I have to say, is you had mentioned kind of jumping on for the Green Lantern for the penultimate issue so that you could go with the whole Black Stars thing. Did you end up reading issue 12 or did you not bother? Uh, I did. And yeah, that's a comic that happened. Right? Like (laughs) I I read that and then I swear to God, this is the first time I think maybe ever that I pulled a, a Graham McMillan. I turned around and reloaded all the issues on my ipad and then just started reading admittedly rapidly but reread them from issue one through 12 because i finished 12 with such a strong element of what am i missing and so i was like okay well you know i usually miss some of morrison's prime stuff the first time around i'll just yeah, reload I, these all I'm, and I'm reattack sure it it's... I kind of feel like I didn't. I have to say, I'm sort of like. I, yeah, I've got to say, I I hope there's more to that when the second quote unquote season starts, right? Because that cliffhanger came like felt like it came from out of nowhere. And don't get me wrong, sure, there's obvious setup earlier in the series, right? But not really. <laughs> You know, like the characters are introduced, right? But I, I don't think it's fair to say that like what happens in issue twelve felt organic, shall we say? Interesting. Yeah, I I I went through and re, re like I said quickly reread it, and it's amazing how much twelve issues of the Green Lantern by Morrison and Liam Sharp, like by the same team, doesn't really feel organic like there's some yeah. weird it, there's a lot of weird storytelling choices in that in yeah. That yeah 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 just and and a lot of for whatever reason i feel like morrison is trying to you know it it almost feels more like morrison's trying to get the hang of 
TV structure writing in like a comic, maybe. Um, yeah. And maybe he is because I remember I talked to him when the series started mm-hmm. and he talked about his experience in the writer's room for Happy mm. uh, as being like, you know, a, a, an interesting learning experience for him and something he wants to draw from. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there are definitely issues in here that feel sort of done in one, you know, what what the X-Files would sort of call the monster of the week issues. And then there's the mythology issues, you know, and it's all supposed to weave together by the time that you get to the end of it. But for me, it was kind of... uh... I mean, it doesn't is the thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a very disjointed 12 issues. Uh, It's a very light 12 issues. It's... I ended up rereading like the second half of the series in a wonder mm-hmm. when issue 12 came out and one of my first thoughts and this is me being so uncharitable towards morrison that amy's going to listen to this and go haha but um it feels as if it feels as if dc doesn't have a green lantern book mm-hmm. it feels like a book that almost like argues for its own lack of importance or existence Mm. with with every issue hmm. it it's 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 so uh like i, I don't want to say unimportant because that suggests the whole like you know well if it's not in cam- canon then it doesn't matter and that's not what i mean but i mean it in the sense of there's nothing there really right right i i kind of hmm it's funny because I sort of feel that there is such a strangely concerted effort in the Green Lantern to make it – how do I put it? Like it feels to me like Morrison is actually trying to make an argument for s- smaller Green Lantern stories even while which, – it's which even while trying to like – blow the pipes and the horns that in the background is like the largest story that's ever unfolded ever kind of thing. But but again, that's just what Morrison does. Right. And there's only so often he can do that. Right. Before it just seems completely unrealistic. Well, I I, I mean, honestly, this is, Morrison's got some really interesting stuff that, that, like you said, he tends to return to. But I feel like, especially in a way in Green Lantern, I feel like Morrison, like enough of what Morrison's been doing for such a long time is in is in the Green Lantern in a way that doesn't feel like it works especially well and sort of in a way ends up reinforcing this. Um, I mean, you, you talked about the, the Venture Brothers idea behind House of X, you know, and Powers of Ten, where it's like the mutants can't die. But in in Green Lantern, time and time and time and time and time again in the course of those 12 issues, we keep meeting other versions or variations of Green Lantern from yes. different universes and things. Not just the Green Lantern core, but by the time you get to the multiversal Green yeah, Lantern yeah. core, there's there there's a strange feeling of like A, why does this matter? You know, like kind of like the heroes seem 
super unimportant in a way because it's like if you think about it there's just endless iterations of of that character you know just ready to come leaking out of a membrane if you can you know pierce it the right way and also morrison has this ongoing thing of like this is the universe where things are good and and people are good and good wins and here's the invasion from the universe where things are evil and good can't win and it's this it's a weird ongoing um motif that that morrison has used it that is strangely like i think he feels is a way to sauce up the 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 stories but if you think about it for a little bit it really kind of deflates it like morrison's kind of like oh the status quo is the status quo and you can't ever change the status quo except now right now the moment of this story is it going to change yes yeah the status quo can't be changed apart from when it can be changed right exactly and then a lot of what happens in the story then ends up being a way in which it's like aha the status quo did not change. And I think I almost feel like Morrison's Morrison has taken a lot of his concerns or the things that he likes about comic book superhero uh, universes and has, I don't want to say weaponized those things, but he's made them into story points, you know? So it's like, Oh, here it's a good universe it's a status quo it's not going to change we're going to threaten to change it but that's also baked into the nature of the status quo you know and but by this you know it's like heroes don't change the universe doesn't change green lantern it doesn't matter because there's dozens and dozens and dozens of these guys like if not in this universe then in the next one which does kind of sum up the way of looking at the superhero racks and I just wonder if if his the way that he has tried to turn the experience of I don't know reading a comic book into the experience of being a comic book has just kind of hit a almost a critical juncture or critical lapse. I remember around issue eleven talking to you and being like, "What is the point? What is he trying to do?" here with the green lantern and maybe he's not but i almost had felt or hoped that he was trying to figure out something that was going to take him past um sort of the conundrum that he he you know uncovered for himself by the end of batman inc and and maybe he is but like he's not done it in 12 issues so far and right. the series is on hiatus and it's now replaced by three like it's on hiatus for like three months because there's a three issue series that's another version of an alternate version of green lantern right uh so like maybe he is going to to extend past where he was with with batman but you know how much patience do we have to have for him to get there right and how, how much faith do do you really have that he is going to manage that now because honestly, I don't. Right, right. I mean, part of what keeps me going is, is the fact that Liam Sharp's art is, I think, just beautiful, you know? And there were times where it was like rereading stuff. I was like, oh, shit, holy cow, how did I miss that the first read through? But yeah, I know what you mean. It doesn't, it, you, you, it is the, 
how confident can you be and why would you stick around? I also had a weird feeling of also there was a lot of this 12 issues of the Green Lantern that made it seem like the last 15, 20 years of Green Lantern history hadn't happened. Um, you know, like there was never any point where anyone was talking about yellow lanterns or red lanterns or blue lanterns. And I'm like, I, I mean, to be brutally honest, I'm okay with that. Well, no, I, I am too. But at a few times I just sort of wondered, like, did they, did, you know, did they have like a, a, a lantern event that put all that shit back in the toy box or is that still supposed to be there? And if so, why isn't it acknowledged in any way? You know, I think in theory, it's all supposed to be there. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Cause in other DC books, that's kind of been put to bed as well mm-hmm. without, I don't think ever explicitly being put to bed. Mm. Like Sinestro's in Justice League mm-hmm. as just Sinestro. Right. You know? Right. Um, I, unless it was done in like the Dan Jerkins issues of, of Green Lanterns, Mm. which I haven't read. I don't think it was ever explicitly folded up and put away, mm. but maybe it was, <laughs> or, or maybe, maybe like everyone's just agreed never to talk about it again. <laughs> well, it is amazing how much it went from like everywhere. It was everywhere. Everywhere. For and then all of a sudden it's, uh, I, it is, it is interesting for me to speculate about I guess where Jeff Johns what's going to I know and I won't we won't stick on this because I feel like this was something we talked right into the damn dirt just a few episodes ago but like is is Jeff Johns just totally going to be I mean not erased out of the DCU but well so here's here's something from New York that's interesting Uh uh-huh at the panel where they talk about the timeline Mm mm-hmm One of the fans basically asked that. Mm -hmm. He basically said, you know, Doomsday Clock, when it first was announced, it seemed like it was going to be a really big deal. And now with everything that's happened in Justice League, like you've already reintroduced the Justice Society. Mm -hmm. And Superman's introduced the Legion of Superheroes. And Doomsday Clock has been delayed significantly. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't remember the exact phrase, but the question was essentially... Is Doomsday Clock not a big deal anymore? Mm. And the answer was fairly aggressively, no, all of the plans are still in place. They're just not happening when we thought they were going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in the introduction of the timeline, mm-hmm. Doomsday Clock was pretty centrally mentioned as one of the reasons they're going to have a centralized timeline moving forward. Mm. Um. So I suspect, and I have no inter- like interior knowledge in this at all. Mm-hmm. I hasten that, that very, very clearly. I suspect that either Doomsday Clock... Oh my god, can you hear that? Yes. Siri has, out of nowhere, started talking. <laughs> I'm going to see what Siri is saying. Okay. Oh my god, Siri responded to me saying I wanted to say that it was very clearly. <laughs> And it searched for how much is the top very, very clearly. That's amazing. Siri, that was very strange. And please never do that again. Um, <laughs> that was really weird. I was like, why don't you hear a voice? Um, 
Yeah, I suspect what's going to happen is Doomsday Clock and or Justice League are going to end up in rebooting the right. DC Universe again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or maybe both. Right. And they're going to try and merge things together in such a way mm-hmm. uh, that... And I suspect what's going to happen is Justice League is going to end up leading into Doomsday Clock. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And I think they're basically going to go, okay, it all still counts, but we've now got another new timeline. Right. And in that new timeline, we can basically say goodbye to the very specific John's uh, books. Right, right. Which is, in in a way, ironic considering how much of his stuff. Like, it was his stuff and... Batman that were the only things that really carried over into the new 52 as I recall. Right, exactly, yeah. It yeah. was it was literally Johns's Green Lantern stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Levitt's Legion, which basically got away with it by the fact that like it's set a thousand years away from everything else. Mm. Um and and Morrison's Batman kind of right that that made it through. Mm-hmm. And even then, like Morrison's Batman like Batman was impacted. It's just that Morrison kind of ignored it. Right. It kind of ignored it. And then you there know? was sort of that strange, like, Snyder stepping in and and more or less not ignoring Morrison's Batman, but definitely ignoring the idea that, that Batman continuity was supposed to be the same. He was like... Yeah, yeah exactly. He, you know. he was, like, fairly aggressive, being like, this is Batman continuity. And especially when you get something like Zero Year. Exactly. You know, like, very mm-hmm. explicitly saying, this is my Batman. Yep. Um, yeah, but I, I suspect... Because you're right. Like, I can't think of the last time that people were actually talking about Red Lanterns. Mm-hmm. You know? Or or uh, Blue Lanterns or, or right. Sinestro or anything other than in passing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, not only through the Johns era, but like in the, the immediately following issues. Mm-hmm. Like the Robert Bailey stuff was explicitly about that. Right. Like very, very, very firmly uh, in the, the, the line of this has all happened, this is our new reality moving forward. Mm-hmm. But again... The stuff that Vendetti put in place has been fairly explicitly ignored as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Vendetti very clearly put in place that the the energy that all the lantern rings were pulling from was a finite resource mm. and was linked to the source wall. Mm. And now you have, like, the source wall is destroyed and hide it. It's a dark multiverse. Right. And it's like, okay, because, you know... I remember Kyle Rayner went through there and came back, and that wasn't that then, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's weird. Hmm. Um, I I we'll see. In theory, Doomsday Clock Twelve is supposed to be out in December. Uh, uh, like uh, we'll believe it when we see it. Yeah, seriously. But in theory, that comic's supposed to be out for the end of the year. That's – I don't know. I don't know what to say. Oh, I actually got sent the collection of the first six issues because, you know, they're putting them in two six-issue collections first. Mm-hmm. Um, to the surprise of no one, that's a very unsatisfying collection. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i not surprised. I mean part of me is like, yeah, I mean, really like to... how, how could you, How could it be satisfying? Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
boy. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I don't necessarily want to start a fight, but uh, actually what I'll do is do, to risk starting a fight by, by pointing out to our, our whatnot listeners uh, in the U.S., by all means, if you have a digital tablet uh, and you have not looked into Hoopla, if it is available through your library system, I mightily encourage you to do so. Not only can you download graphic novels for free, but it is kind of wackadoodle the stuff that you will find on Hoopla on day of release, um, which is to say I I downloaded Heroes in Crisis, the collection. I mm-hmm. I want to say like after your review of it that you wrote up on on the podcast, which I assumed had meant that the trade had come out. So I grabbed it from Hoopla and then saw it on Comixology the next day. And I was like, holy shit, did I literally not just download this trade on like day of release, but kind of sort of before? Hoopla has been weird. I've seen a couple of things show up on Hoopla before they're officially released. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's and what I think is, is I think they might be Hoopla might be going with bookstore day of release, which occasionally is the day before comic store release. Right. Normally exactly. it's the Tuesday after release, but right. occasionally it shows up the day before. Yeah, which is which is crazy to me. I was like, huh, well, huh. So all of which is to say, I don't really want to fight about it, but I do have to say that I I read Heroes in Crisis, and uh, after reading your re-evaluation of it and i sat down and read it for the first time myself after hearing many things about it some of which from you during the course of this podcast and i think it is not very good graham so that's that's but that's yeah that's not gonna start a fight because it's sure like (laughs) that that's utterly unsurprising to me it's not a book that i thought you were going to dig Mm. do you know what i mean like it pretty much leans into everything you don't like about tom king Eh. Anyway, so yes, uh, such as it not being good. <laughs> you could try and start by all you want. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I, I felt you were the one who was like, oh, yeah, it's everything you don't like. I'm like. No, no, I just mean in the sense of like. No, the, no, the things, no, I know. The, the things know. that appeal to me yeah. are things that, like you don't dig, right? So I never, like, I didn't think I was going to convince you. You know. <laughs> the thing that I think is funny is sort of like Doomsday Clock, uh, which, you know, reading, I think I'm up to issue seven, thanks to DC Universe, which means I'm somehow ahead of the trade. Uh, I, I find myself being um, like, oh, this is not good, but there's parts of it that I, you know, enjoy or there's the part that I am into i guess you know like there there's 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 a way in which heroes in crisis would have turned out to be a very different experience for me that i think i might have liked more oh i i will say this because i don't think that this is this is a a fighty thing and it's also maybe not a vague vague enough that it it, it's got a kernel of it that we can (laughs) discuss without without coming to blows is I think one of the things that really throws Tom King off in Heroes in Crisis is the pacing is really off by dint of him using, you know, he tends to use the full page as a unit 
And I think that ended up being a really big mistake in Heroes in Crisis. Um, There's a pacing is shit in Heroes in Crisis. Yeah. Uh, it's not only because that, it's also because the structure of using the guest artists for like the flashback issues and everything. Right. Like fucks the narrative momentum horrendously. Right. Horrendously. Right. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff that. I am more willing to let them get away with in serialization just because of the realities of publication, mm -hmm. but should have been addressed in collection, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah, there, there's there's a I, – I think I said this when I wrote this piece up for the site. Maybe I didn't. Like, Heroes in Crisis is in – I'm not trying to argue that it's a great comic mm -hmm. because it's, it's horrifically flawed. Oh, you know what? The thing, the thing that's actually really funny is – you pitch it in on uh, in the post as sort of the opposite, which is kind of uh, like I was going to reread reread this train wreck, and was it as terrible? No, to my surprise, there's parts of it that it's not as terrible as I remembered or feared, but it still has significant flaws, which I think is you know, I mean, that's your take on it, but I'm I'm just saying it. It's not like you went in there being like. You know, okay, everyone, I've got bad news for you. It's not the fantastic book that I remember because it's that's kind of not how you spun it. Which, again, fine. Um, I think again, what what I find fascinating, like you said, between the fill-in artists and um, again, just the page unit, the the whole structure for the page long testimonials. Um, mm -hmm ends up not just not working, but also not working and chewing up a lot of valuable time. Like there's a well, lot but, but of space like, in there. But also like by uh -huh. the end, mm -hmm. it's supposed to be delivering information that it's not delivering well. Right. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the closest you can get is there's a few pages like – maybe one or two pages and toward the end where King mixes it up by having three different heroes in the, the blabbity booth at the, you know, three tiers of panels where they're moving through their different stages to sort of compare and contrast. And I'm like, dude, you should have been doing this like an issue two or whatever. There was, there, there was just, the other thing that is really odd, and I know that you mentioned it in your review um, and in talking about it, but uh, you know how you read those event books that feel as if all of the story seems to be happening in the tie-ins? And mm -hmm. so there's just kind of this like shell around the outside that doesn't actually mm -hmm. convey things. Heroes in Crisis felt like that without there being... Yeah, there weren't tie-ins. Yeah, it was just the weirdest goddamn thing. I was like... Heroes in Crisis, like, in general, is the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like, it was pretty much sold as, a, as an event book. Right. And it's fairly aggressively not. Well, but again, is it the thing where they did damage control and squeezed off? Because, as you pointed out, there is... It really makes a big fucking deal about the idea that, you know, Lois Lane gets this information leaked to her of the Secret of Sanctuary and she runs it and everyone makes noises like, oh, this is going to change everything. And it doesn't 
change do anything. anything. Do anything. Yeah, exactly. And but like, even by the end of the book, the mm-hmm. end of the book, Jeff, and again, this and this is in one of the Talking Heads, reveals that Sanctuary is opened again. Mm-hmm. Sanctuary reopened after the, the murder. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. We've not seen Sanctuary reference since. Mm-hmm. No one has referenced the fact that, in theory, like videos of the superheroes revealing their identities have been leaked we'll see that's it yeah i mean it's such a weird what is this happening and 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 that seemed it seemed really odd it really reminded me heroes of christ only kind of works if you think of it as the opposite of a fan book i.e a book that doesn't happen in mainstream continuity yeah kind of kind of yeah. yeah 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 i mean it's it's almost like an impressive step up from Millennium in the idea of the hook. wow. Now you're going to start a fight. Well, no, 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 no. I just <laughs> I just mean I assume you know where I'm going with this. Is is the the hook with Millennium is is the idea that one of the members of the supporting cast is supposed to be yeah, a manhunter in disguise, right? Yeah. The way the creators cheat to fulfill that promise. Without oh, shit, yes. yeah, you know, without actually having to fuck up their status quo is quite a thing. And so, in it's that especially sense, especially the Batman books, right? Exactly. So, I feel like Heroes in Crisis almost does that one better in the sense of like, you know, here's that moment, and then everyone's just like, hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it really didn't that that the number of things that felt like they were something where I'm like, Oh, I'm just missing reading the tie in book, you know, daily planet and crisis or whatever. And knowing that I'm not, it's not there. It's, but it's also really funny. Like this comic comes out months Mm -hmm. before like Leviathan, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, DC's current, there's all these secrets and Lois Lane is at the central center of them. Right. Right. Thing. And it's like, okay, why isn't Leviathan at least giving lip service to the fact right. that in theory, yeah. months ago, right. Lois got given all the information right. about superheroes? Well, or even for that idea of like, she got it given, but it's it's out there. It's out there, can be collected, and and yeah, in the case of some somebody like Leviathan used or weaponized, like there would be a lot better way almost in sort of that Marvel's Civil War way, if part of what Leviathan was turning around and saying and doing to the heroes was like, look, you guys are fucked up. These tapes show that you're a mess. And part of that is because of the strain of having to do this all alone and you're not alone and there's a better way to do it and we could do it, you know? But I feel, I do feel that DC is... I don't know, like there, you know, that there are those times where it feels like everything is happening and nobody's paying attention to what anyone else is doing. And sometimes that ends up creating good books, but sometimes it just creates this weird, again, like Morrison and Sharp's Green Lantern. I kind of had this deal of like, oh, yeah, no, I haven't been following the DC universe the last few years closely at in any way, but like. Why the fuck aren't we talking about the Blue Lanterns? Like there was something where it really looked like that was going to be the slot, or even encountering a Star Sapphire, and I don't know. It was just 
DC's all over the place. I'm not really paying attention to Marvel except when they put Conan in something, which means I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to Marvel because apparently they're putting Conan in everything. Yes, um, Conan's the new hotness, Jeff. Yeah. S- somehow weirdness. Who even knows? But you see, we say that they put Conan in everything. They're not. They're just like having a lot of Conan comics in the same way that Marvel has a lot of everything comics right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely true. Like Marvel is now reaching the part where they can – fairly legitimate would be like do you like superhero comics we've probably got something for you if only because they're like we also put out 125 comics a month well it's true it is true the- i see that but like they've literally just cancelled uh moon knight and devil dinosaur which uh, not moon knight and devil dinosaur, that's great yeah moon girl and devil dinosaur rather. oh damn it uh, the moon crossover i was hoping to see yes. why 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 are they crossing why did they cancel moon girl and devil dinosaur i, I guess it didn't sell well but also it's hilarious to me because disney literally just announced they're doing a cartoon based on it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like within a month of disney announcing that marvel's like we've killed the book right <laughs> yeah 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 no it's true no one's buying it that thing that disney's just announced they're doing a cartoon based on right. nope yeah we've killed the book um <laughs> and it's true like squirrel girl's dying as well Mm-hmm. So, is Marvel going to have no YA titles? That can't be right. Yeah, that's. I I assume they're going to relaunch different ones, but maybe not. Maybe you know, maybe it's that thing of like, ah, the, you know, the Scholastic numbers aren't, the book fair numbers aren't coming in at the numbers Actually, that we want. Let's, here's the thing: in the last month, mm-hmm. Marvel has announced two different prose partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, they just announced one with Asmodee, who is a British game company. Uh, and the British game company has just announced its own, like, prose line. Mm-hmm. And Marvel's partnered with them for books based in the Marvel Universe that are going to be released in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Mm-hmm. And last month, they announced a deal with Scholastic for middle grade books mm-hmm. uh, in the Marvel Universe. And, like, they've already got the IDW deal right. for for young reader comics right is marvel like getting in this weird space where it's like it's upping its its amount of publications but it's also really narrowing who that pub- publication base is aimed at well yes i mean I, I i think that's the easiest way to say it i it wouldn't surprise me if marvel is uh, uh, essentially going to to lean into it rather than insisting that they can do kids comics well you know for a long time marvel was just like oh yeah no we don't have to because kids comics don't sell you know or or any of those other things i i sort of feel like marvel's just kind of like you know what we know what we can do quote unquote do which is sell to you know grain neckbeards um, and if you want kids books, you know, we'll license it out. We'll get a fee, you know, and we don't have to worry about, you know, making Frank Thierry type anything that Frank Thierry doesn't want to type, you know, like, uh, it, he's got ruins of Ravencroft to write, Jeff. Right. Right. You know, I think, I think there's a, there is a little bit of the, this is what we're excited to do. This is when we're excited about we can sell it. And what those things are, are, you know, 
I, like you said, yeah, Frank Frank Thierry stuff and Conan and things and uh, experimenting with numbering and seeing what Dan Slott wants to write next. And rather than go out of our comfort zone and or not give work to our friends or give work to our friends that they don't actually do good work on, we'll just leave this out to the professionals, you know, like um, we'll just we'll just let people who know how to do the youth books do the youth books will still see the money from it and you know it's expanding without us having to really put a lot of resources into it mm-hmm. so which is depressing i mean because i really do think that there were you know there was ryan north and erica henderson and you know we could go down the list there's there's a lot of pretty talented people who worked on you know that most current stretch of marvel's ya stuff don't even get me started about miss marvel and it just kind of feels like you know an excuse for marvel to be like eh, trying to find women and artists of color hard and we like we like hanging out at the pub with the guys we like hanging out with so you know here's space punisher 2099 you know, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think you'll find it's called Cosmic Ghost Rider, Jeff. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I, I it's it, it's hard because right now I have to say, I, as I think I've said, I'm trying. I'm I've actually got to the point where I've am thought put down hard numbers for a budget, and I'm going to start trimming back the number of comics that I buy every week and waiting for longer periods to get them on streaming. Um, so I, I, okay. Spinning off that, I'm curious, what is your weekly pool list? Like Gen generally, or like, that, like, like going that, you, that, that you, that you pay for, like, for example, I get almost everything I read weekly as a comp. Right. Right. You know, and I'm really lucky in that respect. I am. I'm incredibly lucky, and I, I acknowledge that. Right. Um, and also, I read, like, sporadically because of that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, this week, honestly, what have I read more than anything? I've read 2000 stuff and old Star Trek comics. <laughs> right? Right. You know, and and, uh, and a couple of other things I want to talk about super quickly before we finish. But right. um, S- similarly, but, but but like my quote unquote weekly pull list doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But you saying that makes me curious what your weekly pull list looks like because honestly, I didn't think that you're getting that many titles on a weekly basis. Um, it I come and go. Like I tend to pick up a lot more stuff um, as I see it and feel like I've like ooh I've got to have that so. Hold on a second. Let's see if we can look at my series subscriptions. Okay. So here are my quote unquote active subscriptions through Comixology. And keep in mind, this is after I trimmed a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Outer Darkness from Image, uh, Avengers, Batman, uh, Blank Canvas, my so-called artist journey, which I think only has one more volume of manga coming out. Conan, Criminal, uh, Divergelder, which it's been forever since, you know, volume two came out again, manga, Eminon, uh, I th- don't know how many more volumes of that golden Kamai again, manga house of X over powers of 10 over immortal Hulk, Jimmy Olsen, 
My Pink is Overflowing, of course, and Savage Avengers. Now, that's after... And that's not, that's not a lot, right? Yeah, but that's after I cold through, went through and canceled, and I'm going to have to jump around here because, of course, they don't show you when you've made your... when your subscriptions are... Well, let's see. That's inactive. These are discontinued. Discontinued are the ones that they actually are kind enough to tell you they've finished. So... I have discontinued uh, Action Comics, Superman, uh, Southern Bastards, uh, the Zdarsky Daredevil, um, Dead Dead Demons. Oh, I'm, sur- I'm surprised Destruction. you Daredevil. I am too. Uh, it, that was very much a I can read it on Unlimited kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, so uh, blah, 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 blah. No longer done. Not, no, no, no. Gwenpool Strikes Back. Uh, Love and Rockets. Uh, of course, Walking Dead actually genuinely ended. I did jump off of the Green Lantern. I doubt I will come back. Um, and that's it. But, of course, the Leviathan events, I didn't pick up the latest issues of that. I... Don't, I'm not going to follow Legion. Um, let's see. Let's see other stuff. I think that's the bulk of it. When Batman, when King leaves Batman, I don't know if I'm going to bother with Batman and Catwoman or not, or if I'm just going to be like, maybe I'll try not buying any Batman for a while. You know. So I, I, I'm curious. You're not going to get the um, James Tyne and Tony Daniel? No, nah, I. I would be surprised if I did. I would be surprised if I did. The idea of you not buying a Batman comic on a regular basis is genuinely surprising to me. Yeah, uh, it's surprising to me too because it's been a long, long, long period of time, uh, honestly. Um, But, you know, I mean, I might come back. And again, there's that weird feeling of provided I'm not helping the industry collapse in on itself – Marvel and DC books are the books that I should worry the least about reading because in yeah, theory, they're right? the most guaranteed to pop up. Like, you know. And also, like, you can read them on Hoopla. You can read them on DC Universe. You can right. read them on Marvel Unlimited. Well, like, see, that's it. Exactly. If you have a little bit of patience, right. you'll be fine. Right. Exactly. Whereas there's a lot of image titles that may not necessarily get collected or made available to me. Um, one of the things provided we ever do get to talk it about uh, the books that we've been reading is um, I have finally, 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 uh, after years of hearing you praise it to the skies, um, I jumped in and started reading Giant Days. And I'm sure they I think they actually like Comixology Unlimited has like the first eight volumes yeah, of the, the first, trades. Yeah, it's got a bunch. Yeah. yeah. And then and then I think Hoopla might have two more on top of that. We'll see. So. I've just been tearing through that, and that's been incredibly enjoyable. But yeah, it's it's so fun, right? It's yeah, really, really, really. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing um, that's been hard for me, and I'll then I'll tie this off, is just the fact that um, in trying to budget myself, it means that I'll probably be spending a lot less money on manga, and that's going to be kind of a heartbreaker for me because that's kind of where my intermittent passions are i should say you know uh so here's here's a tie-in question and then we'll move on Mm -hmm. is that something you can just get out of the library uh i i can through hard copies which as i've mentioned is not my ideal way to do it 
Um, Comixology Unlimited, thanks to its tie-ins with Kodansha, have a lot of a lot of you know the type of manga that I like that's relatively deep, you know, deep run of it, like the the um, You're My Pet, which I totally enjoyed reading all sixteen volumes of that, for example. Um, I'll, and I'll, I've got I've got the incredibly ridiculously cheap. A subscription to Shonen Jump, which is sort of starting to carry more stuff. Uh, and in fact, there is, um, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called, jeez, uh, what is it called? Shushia? It's, it's, yeah, Shushia's uh, Manga Plus app, which is essentially their international app that they have that they're using to run the Shonen Jump titles. Since Shonen Jump, uh, the Shonen Jump app is United States and North America, this is for the rest of the world. And it's got all the English translations of everything that Shonen Jump has, but it also has a bunch of titles that Shonen Jump doesn't. The catch is, is that as far as I can tell, it doesn't have the subscribe to this and you can get, you know, unlock the library and get to read all mm. the past stuff it's sort mm -hmm. of a we would rather keep you on you know going through our app than going to pirates so here's the latest three chapters of each title and here's like maybe the first three uh chapters you know so all of which is to say, I think that I still have enough digital options available to me. Um, and uh, one thing that I had noticed in the course of, as I've mentioned here a few times, tracking my uh, comic digital comics purchases this year has been really illuminating because um, manga is this huge vector point in that I, it's really common for me to turn around and spend the most money and then take the longest time getting around to reading it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really is one of those. In fact, I've got, you know, five or six partial series of two or three volumes that I haven't even cracked open that I can, can and should sit down reading in theory before I have to worry about any new manga but at mm -hmm. the same time, I also find myself when a new manga title comes out, I'm like, oh, but Jeff, you've you've got to be able to get that. Yeah, I mean that's but that's yeah. part of the whole thing, right? Like right. it is impulse buys or impulse buys, right? Exactly. And you take a while to get to them, but like you'll probably make another impulse buy in the meantime. Yes, yes, yes. If we're talking about me, we certainly can bet on that. Um, I was meaning anyone. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you meant. Hey. Yes. Before we move on, very quickly, I want to say that you mentioned Outer Darkness. I caught up with Outer Darkness through Hoopla, and I really like that first collection. Oh, good. I'm really glad. Isn't it? It's it's quite a little pip, isn't it? Yeah, I really, really liked it. Okay. Uh, and again, one of the joys of Hoopla, right? Mm -hmm. You can just be looking, see like, I wonder what's available. And I saw that and was like, oh, Jeff really takes that. Mm -hmm. let, let me take a look at that. And I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, Hoopla is pretty amazing in 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 that regard. I wish they could figure out some sort of way such that they could get more manga on there, but eh, I understand it's a really it's a, it's a it's a weird world in that regards. But yeah, there's so much stuff on there that's um, 
I'm so glad. Yeah, Outer Darkness. I just read the most recent issue just a uh, you know just like three or four days ago. And, and what 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 issue is it? Because I think the trade only goes up to issue six, or maybe even issue five. Yeah, and this is at issue eleven. So they're going to have issue twelve and the end of the first season um, next issue, and then I imagine the trade will be out right after that. So you can yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking to see what volume uh, what issue the tr- first trade goes up to. Yeah, it I think so. Right. Oh wow, issue two, uh, volume two is already uh, solicited for December. Yeah, that makes sense and to me. Through twelve, there you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes sense. It's very much in. I think. Well, it's as you know, it's um, it's skybound. Uh, so I think there's certain advantages there in terms of you know Kirkman's uh, money, but I also feel that Kirkman is also a pretty big fan of getting this stuff into trade quickly, you know, with somebody who, and at lower price points. Well, I, I've got to be honest as well. That first trade works really well as a trade. I think if I'd read the issues individually, I wouldn't <clears throat> have liked it as much. Mm-hmm. It, it is the fact that you can have a chapter, have another chapter, like the, the binge nature of that trade. Yes. For me. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, I don't know. I see that, but I, it's also a book that, um, works for me in. in oh no. Like I, yeah. I finished the trade and I was like, I want to read more. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So it's like, maybe I do just go with single issues. So, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I very much understand what you're saying. It's just for getting into it. Yes. Yeah. It was actually yeah, really a, a good choice for you. Yeah. That it was, that it. It was a, like, you know, a, I think I like this. Right. And then you, you end up reading like six in a row and you're like, no, I do. I like this. Right. This is working for me. Right. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that's really funny about Giant Days is I think they put – it's like four issues to a trade. So in theory, they're relatively um, short or small for, for tr- as far as trade collections go. But the storytelling is so dense. Like each one really feels packed with stuff. And that – yeah. Um, I, I think Giant Days is fabulous in that sense to read and trade because it's very much, um, you know, it it's in some ways it's closer to manga than not for me, you know, in the sense of it. Oh yeah, I, I totally see that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's there's something about the uh, just I was going to say the storytelling, which isn't entirely right, but there's something about the the focus, the mm-hmm. narrative focus in mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. that feels. Much closer to manga than uh, American comics, yeah. shall we say. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, and the fact that it's not – I mean, the collections are only like four issues or something. Yeah. But the collection could also be five issues or six issues or seven issues or 12 issues. or Exactly. Th- you know, because mm-hmm. it is just sort of like continuing. Yeah, exactly. It's not like there's a story arc. Right. You know? Right. There's the characters' relationships to one another, which in true comic fashion can grow and change and flip. But everything else from issue to issue is just an embellishment. Uh, I have to say, I was very weirded out to find out that there was a Giant Days young adult novel. Uh, I had no, I literally had no idea. I don't think anyone I, did because I never heard I, anyone talk I, about it. I'm not weirded out about that because not because I think that it should exist because I don't care one way or another, but because Boom did that with Lumberjanes and it was a success. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Well, but. Well, I don't know. Is it, so I know that Giant Days is a boombox title, 
And the other thing that I found a little odd about it, because I think you had mentioned this, one of the things that's, the only thing that's quote unquote rough for me about Giant Days is the fact that it starts off with Lisa Tremaine, who is just a fucking fantastic artist. Yes. Who, yeah. And then Max comes in like really soon. Yeah, exactly. She it's and it's strange because she continues to contribute covers, mm-hmm. but then he's doing he's doing the actual interior art. And Max Sarin stuff is I I I like it. Um there's parts where I'm like, oh, this is quite good. But man, her stuff was so well, It's worth remembering that Giant Day started as mini. Yes. And was then upgraded. Right. So it's very possible that Lisa only signed on to do like three issues. I totally, totally get it. Or three issues or four issues. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing it. It was just the two things that, that, that shocked me, I guess, were kind of, oh, this is a creator owned comic, but it's, it's only owned by the writer. And I mean, I know Allison is actually a cartoonist himself in, in theory. Well, and, but you're also giant days is a continuation slash expansion of something he did himself. Right. Exactly. Like so, there are earlier giant days comics that are just by him. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So he expanded it for this, which I get. Um, Esther de Groot is a character from is it bad machinery or I don't remember which. I think she's from, yeah, she's from uh, Bobbins, I think, but yeah. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm aware of that, but it was kind of like, oh, that's weird and also strange. And then to follow it up with, uh, oh, and here's Giant Days, the novel, and it's not written by John Allison, but is published by Boom, but the rights are owned by John Allison. I was like, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious how this all came about, you know, I mean, I guess it's working for him, but there was kind of this weird thing of, I, I hope it's working for everyone. I, I mean, in part because Lisa Tremaine's art was just so, um, you know, keynote perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I found myself being very like, well, I hope she's, you know, being... Um, exactly. I hope she didn't leave the book because she was getting fucked. Exactly. I mean, and I assume not because she's still doing all these covers, but I do have that moment of like what really hooked me was the first two or three issues that I was not reading. I, I wasn't reading the credits very closely. And when I realized it was a separate writer and artist, I was like, oh, I'm really stunned because it really had the the simpaticoness of a really of what I would, you know, the, the, the text and the art so perfectly mirroring each other and being in sync that it feels like it's a unified hand, you know, mm-hmm. whereas yeah, no, with I, Saren, I, I, as I much as I like it, there's periods where I'm like, oh yeah, the artist is kind of overselling it here. And here's Allison trying to take it down a, a notch. You know, there's, <clears throat> there's that push and pull. So, but yeah, yeah. that being said, Graham, Good recommendation. People who listened to Graham uh, long before I did, good call because it's a it's a, it's an enjoyable series. I'm I'm up to like volume six, I think, in a relatively short period. Oh yeah, of time. yeah, and it really goes on it. for a long time. Jack, yeah, because no. like volumes mm-hmm. are really short, and I want to say it gets through issue fifty at least. Yes, I think that's. When I'm, the, I'm not up to date with it, but yeah, it, yeah. You know, I want to say it's, it's it's just finished. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's like around issue 54 or something. So yeah. you've got a chunk. Oh, yeah, it's Jeff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the couple of things I've read that aren't 
Star Trek comics. I like. I just like old Star Trek comics. I can't explain it. And what? like we, we, you like me, both have this the DVD ROM. Yes, uh, of, of all of them, and that's why I've been working my way through. I digress. What I was going to say is, I finally got around to reading Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up with Me mm. uh, by Marika Tamaki and Rosemary Villier O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, O'Connell. And I also read an advanced copy of the new Eleanor Davis book. Oh yeah, which uh, everybody's Art been Trump. raving about. Uh, Jeff, it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's stop you in your tracks, breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's actually both of them are both of them are books that even as I was reading them, uh, I was very aware that like I was reading one of the best books of the year. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you're literally reading, going like this is just so far above almost everything else I've read this year. Yeah. The Eleanor Davis one, in particular, is it, honestly like emotionally devastating. Mm. <laughs> is is shockingly good, mm. and is it feels like a step up for Davis in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Uh The the writing is so subtle, so organic, so complex. Um, and and requires I I was going to say requires so much for the reader, which sounds wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it invites so much from the reader, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's 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 so enveloping, it's so involving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even beyond that, like there's moments where I think I said this about this one summer when when it came out as well. Like I had to start reading the book because the art in certain pages just stopped me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like moments where it's just like. Fuck, <laughs> that's that's staggering. Mm. Like this, this, this panel, this exchange, like the way she's doing this particular thing, is just. I mean, words fail me for how much I love the heart tomorrow. Mm. It's it's genuinely amazing. Mm-hmm. I'd be really curious what you think of it when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, it's out uh, actually. I think it's out now. Mm. I think it came out this last week. Um, it's amazing. Uh, Lording keeps breaking up with me. I also really, really liked, but I'd actually put slightly below the heart tomorrow, purely because uh, what really elevates that book for me is Rosemary Valero O'Connell's art, mm. which is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many, so many of the choices that she makes are are perfect. Are are genuinely, you know, so unusual, so. F- fascinatingly uh, organic and small choices that utterly change the page or the scene or how you think of a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept coming back to, have you have you seen much of Larry O'Connell's work? I don't think so. I keep coming back to, it's got everything I like about Brandon Graham's work, mm-hmm. but everything about that is better. Mm. Hmm. It's literally everything I like about Brandon Graham's work, but more so. Mm. Hmm. Like, it's just smarter. It's more uh, refined. It's more controlled. The the use of color and tone is just shockingly good. The ability to combine the lettering with the art in terms of like the graphic layout of the page mm-hmm. is next level. Mm. Um, the character work is is great. 
Um, and really, Valerio O'Connell is, in many ways, in many cases, like outshines what Tamaki's doing. Mm-hmm. Tamaki, like the story is great. The story is wonderful. The writing is really strong. Mm-hmm. But O'Connell's work is just like if 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 that is not uh, an Eisner Best Art nomination, then fucking burn down the Eisners. <laughs> it, it really. Like, honestly, that and Hard Tomorrow are probably the two best-looking comics I've read all year. Mm. By far, by miles. Mm. Um, and it's funny because I read both of them within, like, a week of each other. And it was this moment of, like, okay, so, like, these two in the, the Huzanga book. Mm-hmm. And that's comics you really need to read this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we're kind of, in a way, creeping up toward the end of the year. I'm like, oh, my God. I- yeah, no, yeah. no, I, I really, I really kind of got there after reading this. I was like, shit. So what else is there? Mm-hmm. Like, what else, what else would be on the list? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. Like, you know, House of X and Powers of Ten kind of get on there purely because they did have that amazing start, and honestly, they were phenomenons. Mm-hmm. Like, just seeing the impact they had. Mm-hmm. Like, they were, they were a publishing event that genuinely felt like an event. Mm-hmm. The comics themselves kind of flopped, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You on that? I have no idea what the fuck else is on that list right now. Mm. Yeah, I uh, I gotta admit it's been kind of pleasant not reading for the lists. I mean, I don't know how much I really did that generally, but I feel like I felt guiltier not sort of keeping up with the Joneses or trying to keep aware of that stuff. And in a way, I feel. somewhat guilty i i like being able to advocate for good work i just for whatever reason for a variety of factors am just driving my clown car down its own particular path i guess which is which is the way to do it right sure well yes and no i mean you know, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's funny because I'm literally doing the opposite. Like I've started looking for, you know, I just put in the the local library. I was like, okay, so I'm going to get Skip, right? Uh, by Molly Mendoza. I'm going to get um, the new Jaime Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to get things that I know I should read before the end of the year, right? Things I think are going to be on that list, and I just haven't read for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like preparing to read those things mm-hmm. um, makes me feel like you know. I am reading for the lists now. Right. I am being very aware of like, okay, I should probably read this. I should probably um, check these things out. I, if I'm going to, as I inevitably am going to at the end of the year, have to make a list. Right. There are certain things that I should be checking out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it also, there's something about that that feels, force isn't the right way of putting it, but like, there are times when I just want to fucking read old Star Trek comics, Jeff. Right? You know? No, I get it. And well, I, I I think you do a pretty good job, better than most, of of balancing both in a way that I find you know mystifying and only occasionally infuriating. Um, how much you're able to read and how how quickly. But um, you know, I definitely made a point now that I'm sort of tracking. Not only am I tracking what I'm buying, but I'm trying to track what I'm reading and you know in theory i read <coughs> a bunch of comics uh over the last 12 to 13 days uh and i'm i'm happy about it i just i'm also but i'm also really aware of um i i 
have to assume that I will come back to relevance, you know, because I do appreciate that. I do appreciate seeing comics move forward in in real time, you know, but there's also part of me that's like, yeah, but you and I are reading a year of Judge Dredd, you know, at a at a go once a month. And, you know, I and by the time I dig into 15 volumes of a manga that I love that's over a decade old, you know, and chase that down with finally, you know, making my way through the Werewolf by Night collections that I have that I picked up digitally that I promised myself I would read. It's really hard for me to sit up and, you know, straight and advocate for anything and extend. I would just it uh, the that would just feel too um, ridiculous for me to actually even think about doing it. You know what I mean? So, uh, so in a sense, that's going to be. I sort of had that while reading uh, Zdarsky's Daredevil. Like I bought a whole bunch of issues on sale, so I I'm up got caught up to issue eleven. I don't know how much further ahead he is than that, but it can't be by much. And um, and I'm like, wow, this is this is a damn good book. This is really good. Uh, and part of me is like, but I could never turn around and say like, this is the best thing that Marvel's publishing because I'm literally not reading the other 114 titles that, that Marvel's yeah. publishing every month. You know, throw in the amount that DC's publishing, throw in the amount coming out from Image and everyone else. And it, you know, it does make me nostalgic for, you know, even 10 years ago when we started podcasting um, and the market seemed absurdly glutted, uh, I could, I still felt like I was reading the majority of stuff or the majority of stuff that I should be reading, you know, at least in print. And, um, and now it's just such a, a tidal wave. And while I think that that's obviously good provided, you know, the, the market just doesn't, collapse in on itself i think that um uh, i also feel weirdly displaced in it which i think is appropriate i feel like it's my time being you know considering i'm a dude who literally sold off his his physical comic book collection something like three years ago now you know and uh but at the same time i also have a little bit of the anxiety of like well where do i where do i fit in this you know or or how can I, you know, it's, it's weird how much of a, uh, lifeline comics has felt for me for such a long time and getting it down to a manageable level for everything else that I've got going on in my life feels, um, both like the right, smart and sensible move. And also kind of a scary, like, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've only been riding this bicycle with the training wheels on it for 40 plus years. I'm not sure I'm ready to take them off yet, you know? So mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, so that that is a particularly personal set of anxieties that has very little to do with what this best year, what this year's best of list will look like for people. But uh, if nothing else, I hope it's a, a real explanation as to why there won't be one for me, I guess. Well, so I'm... Uh... I, I kind of want to see one from you, mm. but I want to see one from you that is your favorite things of the year. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, agreed. Agreed. And I do think like, that like there's that, a place for that. that. Yeah. 
That, mm-hmm. Exactly. That would be interesting. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, like, I, I feel like I have to have some idea of what legitimately, like, were the best releases of the year right. uh, for my job. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just do. Mm-hmm. But you don't. And so the idea of you just listing the, your favorite things of the year feels more authentic, maybe, eh. but definitely as valuable. Well, yeah, I, it, 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 it has value. But, um, but I don't know. I, I, I tend to be semi suspicious of it. I will say that part of me wishes that if there were two of me, there'd be the me that does this podcast with you. And then there would be the other me that would be actively creating some sort of online resource of, what people can read on streaming services every week. You know what I mean? Like I really like digital streaming and apparently everyone makes it sound like it is flat as a board as far as sales go, um, which uh, I, I have question marks about, but for me, it's like, yeah, for, you know, $20 a month, you can if you if you're like me and live in large you can have subscriptions to shonen jump marvel unlimited dc universe and even squeeze in something like comicsology unlimited throw in a hoopla collection and like there's you've got access to a lot of yeah. new and used material it's, you know it's absolutely nuts i only have uh marvel unlimited dc universe and, and hoopla mm-hmm. but like it's shocking to me how much I can read from that. Yeah. Oh, completely. Completely. Like, very, very much so. Like, it's really – this. The for whatever reason, DC Universe was like, oh, I'm looking and seeing what the new comics are. And they had Nightwing issue 50 or whatever. The, the like, oh, he got shot in the head and now he's edgy. I'm like, I have to admit, I wanted to read that issue. And I read it. And weirdly enough, did you notice they the first issue of Major X was on Marvel Unlimited or no? No, it was. It was. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you notice? And also, that's weird, right? Didn't Major X just come out? Like, didn't didn't they drop it no. on there new? Is that was no. that actually it, no. six months ago that that yeah. came out? Yeah, Major X is done. Yeah. Wow, I was not paying attention. I was. We like, are we are already in the uh, Rob Liefeld threatens to sue Marvel part of the news cycle. No, really? Wait, tell yeah, me more. He said, no, he said something on Twitter like last week. Really about Major yeah. X or about something else? No, about about suing wanting to sue Marvel. Whoa. Uh, let's see. I'm looking up his Twitter right now. Ah, uh, come on, Rob. He's also been bad mouthing. Uh, oh, has he shut down his Twitter? Has he fucking shut down his oh, Twitter? Oh no, you know he got a lot of he got a lot of shit talking for um nope, nope. bad mouthing Hickman's tw- X Men. Yeah, I was gonna say, he, yeah, he has been bad mouthing Hickman's X Men mm-hmm. recently, which has been kind of hilarious to me. Yes. Um, let's see. Oh God, he tweets a lot. Nope, he's still bad mouthing everything. Ah, uh, da da. Wow, Rob, please, for the love of God. I wonder if this is what people find as they try and look through my Twitter. I'm still scrolling through. Jesus Christ, when was it? Nope. I'm back on October 8th. Good Lord. Uh, Wait, is this it? No, it was October 7th. I'm almost there. (laughs) Come on. He said... No, he didn't. Did he? (laughs) 
No shit. Did he delete it? That's hilarious. Oh. I genuinely think he deleted it. Wow. Yep, he deleted it. Wow. It's gone. <laughs> okay, uh, all that looking out. All that looking out yep. for absolutely nothing. Dump, dump, um, dump. He, he did. He, he basically said like it was time to uh, talk to his lawyers about Marvel. And he tagged Robert Iger in the tweets, Jeff. Wow. Uh, and it's gone. The tweet has been deleted. Hmm. Which is why I couldn't find it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what uh, what particular hair uh, Rob has up his his butt. But I do have to say, reading Major X um, is it great? One, uh, yeah, it was great. I, you know, as, as someone who's read more Liefeld esque stuff, you know, I read that Deadpool trade that he did with Chris Sims and Chad Powers. I think in Major X, he's scripting it himself as well as drawing it. Mm-hmm. And, and doesn't always draw it like he only draws some yeah i'm not quite sure how it breaks down because it's he's got a trio of quote-unquote inkers who i know are dudes some of whom i thought he had fallen out with honestly uh which is kind of made me wonder like is this material just like you know 25 years old or is it just a reunion, but yeah, he's he's been inked by guys who have ghosted for him before, so which is interesting because I mean, some of the stuff is so shoddy and dashed off. I'm like, uh, I sure hope he didn't farm that out because you would expect better results if you're going to use a ghost, I guess. But, <laughs> but I expect better from this. Yeah, but I also had a weird feeling of reading Liefeld's. Uh, reading the first issue of that where I was like how do I put it it wasn't great but I have to say that Liefeld was someone who does a much better imitation of a terrible Marvel writer than some of the other image guys have done or can do you know like I was reading I'm like oh this is like it's clear with Major X it's very much in the Liefeld verse. So, you know, there's a time traveler pops up while Cable's still leading the new mutants. There's Deadpool. There's an alternate reality, you know, Dreadpool, uh, which is a terrible name. Uh, and I was just reading it and it's kind of, I had that weird thing of like, it's not good, but I'm like, they're like, it's not good, but it's also not bad. Right. I was kind of like, it's really not much worse than some of the other X-Men comics I remember reading in late 90s, early 2000s. You know what I mean? And he's kind of got his, admittedly, it's just sort of that, you know, the the one time traveling days of future past kind of hook to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like... It's clear he has a lot of affection for that hook, I guess. And I know that you've said this before about Liefeld uh, and McFarlane, so maybe I'm just viewing it more charitably. But I'm kind of like, oh, this guy is kind of, if nothing else, he's into what he's doing. Like, yeah, you know, and yeah, it, 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 it might not be what we're into, but like he sincerely likes it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there, yeah. there's actual enthusiasm there. He's not just doing it right for the sales. Well, and and in a way, there's a little bit where it, it, it yeah, he's not just doing it for the sales, but it's also he's he is a fan of the X Men in a way. 
You know, like I kind of felt that I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Admittedly, this is all, you know, clogged with all of his characters. But there's just something about, you know, the appearance of Cannonball and the way he's writing Cannonball's dialogue is like, oh, yeah, like Liefeld's an old fanboy. This is this is something that matters to him. So it was kind of a I mean, wasn't it was a long cry from great. But I did find myself being like, oh, this was a Marvel Unlimited, absolutely worth the eight and a half minutes it took to read kind of situation. (laughs) Exactly. I've literally not spent any money on this. Exactly. I'm just that much closer to death. So that being said. it, It is. It's time to wrap up. I think so. I think so. We've talked for two hours of your time. Maybe a little less after we cut out the parts where... The parts where I'm looking for a Rob Liefeld tweet. <laughs> Interestingly enough, so while I was looking for the Rob Liefeld tweet and I couldn't find it because he deleted it, I did find a later tweet where he admitted he deleted it by mistake. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> fabulous. Which, which is kind of great. In fact, I'm just going to send that to you through Skype so you can have it. Please do. Anyway, yes, uh, we whatnots have talked for quite some time. Uh, and we're sorry, but we're not really that sorry. We're 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 kind of sorry. We're vaguely sorry. Um, but it was nice. Jeff, it was nice talking to you again. It was I, nice to go wait what again. It's been too it, long. It's been too it, long. Well, that's just it. Because of Comic-Con again. Mm-hmm. It does feel like it's been a long time. Right. Yep. So I'm, I'm, glad, that, I'm glad that we're back on this horse. Mm-hmm. This weird, fucked up horse of ours. <laughs> we're going to be back next week doing another wait what, right? That, I think that's right. And then we'll save the drock for the, the 26th uh, recording date. Okay, sure. What? Let's say yes. That makes sense. I mean, there's... Yeah, because we already had our week off because we took it off last week. Yeah, exactly. We took it off that's last week. That's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- everyone, that's the plan. Yes. The plan that we just came up with right now as you're listening. You can tell that I'm feeling slightly loopy, can you? Yes. I, you. There are the subtle loopy the subtle cues. Of yeah. me just being like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm still not healthy, Jeff. That's the problem. I'm sorry, I'm what's still- that? I'm still not healthy. That's the problem. Oh. I'm still feeling around the weather. And it's mm-hmm. I've, like I've hit the two hour mark and I'm like, good luck getting common sense out of me now, everyone. Yeah. And it's sometimes that's sometimes that's a special place for wait, what shenanigans. But I think we're both just a little little run down. So I think I think we'll move right to the to the closing comments. And Graham will let you know where you can find us. You can find us all over the Internet. The Internet is a full fine place filled with with wonder and beauty and yet also us as well so just <laughs> you can find us on tumblr waitwhatpod.tumblr.com you can find us wait uh instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods you can find us on twitter at waitwhatpodcast you can find jeff on twitter at lazybastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d you can find me at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m and you can find us on patreon which Jeff Lester is about to talk about at this very moment, starting now. Jeff, do it. Make it happen. Now. Go. Jeff. (laughs) I did have that moment of like, I kind of do hope that he's like, go, Jeff, yes, now, for like 45 seconds or something. I kind of wanted to see if you'd actually just jump in, like we're doing like double dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't happening. Yeah, anyway, I have yeah, to say, I've, I've I've always spoiled Double Dutch. I I have to admit, I'm just I I I was uh, me and Jump Rope. We've just never really gotten along. Uh, so 
Patreon, however, is a delightful place uh, filled with uh, listeners who listen to us. And what's great is we're incredibly, so really genuinely incredibly appreciative of all of our listeners for managing to keep us gabbing to one another uh, all these years and to being able to hear from you via comments and emails and tweets. Um but in addition, the special element X that uh, that the patrons at Patreon bring, of course, as is sadly so much of the case with modern day society, that extra element X is indeed money. Um, but that little bit of extra dosh does um, make us take our responsibilities uh, seriously. But and this is crucial in my case, I also need to get them done as opposed to taking them too seriously. It never happens. So here we are pretty much, I want to say every week, but three weeks out of the month, giving you a couple of hours of um, comic book insight and, or um, I don't know what, what, what would you call tug of war? I guess just sort of a comic book tug of war between Graham and I about things that we feel or don't feel tug of war sounds more argumentative than i would say it actually is well yeah i was trying to think what do you call it when like you know when ernie and gus gus like each grab one side of a sock and sort of start growling and and tugging at it honestly i call it shenanigans there you go there we go so some comic book shenanigans between between graham and i so uh we thank you for that. Uh, especially want to thank uh, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, to whom we are especially grateful for her continuing support of this podcast and for keeping uh, this edge of our universe untrammeled and probably, what the heck, bringing back Legion of Superheroes while she's at it. Thank you, Audrey. Graham? Audrey, Audrey if you're responsible for that, then bless you. Mm-hmm. I am so excited about that comic. It's It's... It's actually wrong how excited I'm about that comic. Yeah, you're really I'm excited, excited about it. that comic than I should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week's Superman was great. It was literally Bendis and David Lafonte doing a John Kent and Damian Wayne team up. Mm-hmm. That was just charming as all fucking get out. Yeah, and made me really really happy. And ends with Damian basically telling John. Of course you should join the Legion. I would join if I were you. In fact, when you go there, just send a time machine back to get me. Which made it all the more perfect that yesterday, as we're recording, DC released the cover for issue three, and it's Damien on the cover of the, the Legion of Superheroes. I do, I do love that. I do love that. And that, honestly, might be a, might be a really good idea. I mean... It, it could be super fun, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. genuinely fun. Just bring the, the sort of bad mooded little bastard up there <laughs> you know I, yeah i think it could be really fun mm-hmm. anyway moving on from my love of legion superiors which is coming out super soon thank you everyone for listening thank jeff lester for putting up with me for the last two hours i'm going to sneeze so jeff is gonna to have to take over a while and mute myself uh yeah okay well here i am double dutching it i sadly don't know who i i guess i should thank graham for sneezing so i get a chance to talk again Thanks, you Graham. should you should i did just sneeze uh it was a violent one mm. everyone should be glad i put on mute otherwise you really would have had to have edited that one out, Jeff. Yeah. also i would have had to have apologized for probably definitely double damn uh, i'm sorry i missed it 
Also, Jeff and I have now said the words double dutch so much that I hope all of you have the 1980s song Double Dutch by Malcolm McLaren in your head oh, as well. Of course, the double dutch <laughs> buzz. Right? Izzo Kisser. Uh, Izzo Kissate. On that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to Bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>